0: Hello everyone, my name is Theodore Hill and welcome back to One Day at a Time in Recovery in Baltimore. This is a podcast where I talk one-on-one with other folks like me who are dealing with their own addiction and recovery. And listeners, we're still recording the podcast here in my dining room table in my home where I have three lovely granddaughters so you might hear a little noise in the background from time to time. Welcome to my home. I want to talk about relapse this evening Relapse is part of recovery And some people uh, have to go through a relapse in order to vigorously work their program I'd like to start today's episode by checking in again with a guest I had talked one-on-one The very first episodes of this podcast Almost three years ago My dear friend, Laura Laura, welcome back to One Day at a Time Thank you. And, Laura, I know you've had a rough time since we last spoke. Tell me about the bumps you hit on the road to recovery.
1: Well, actually, um, I had uh, relapsed last year. A couple of my bumps in the road was uh, walking down the wrong path, stumbling into people that didn't have my best interest at heart, not really uh, staying with my program.
0: Did those people come to you, or did you go to them? No,
1: actually, I ran into them because I was doing um, some things that I wasn't supposed to do.
0: Okay. So we're basically talking about relapse before you actually participated with the drugs, that the behavior came before the relapse actually happened. Yes, sir. Correct. Okay. Uh, Miss Laura, what do you want to say to other folks who might be relapsing right now?
1: I want to say to anybody that's out there relapsing, um, the guilt and the shame um, that you feel, try your best to push it to the side because that's what mainly uh, keeps us out there when we're relapsing is the guilt and the shame. Because I've been in in recovery before, and the guilt and the shame has left me out there um, for quite a bit, and that's what took me so long to come back because of the guilt and shame.
0: Miss Law, I would like to thank you for checking in with us. And good luck with the road ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Now, tonight I want to introduce my
2: featured guest.
0: His name is Luke.
2: Hello, Luke. Hey, hey. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me in your home.
0: First, a little background about your family, and mm-hmm. then when you, when did you first get involved with substances?
2: Okay. So, a little about my me and my family background. Mm-hmm. Um, it was me, my younger brother, my older sister, and an older brother. We were living with my mother. Her and my father weren't together. It's not that my father wasn't in my life, but we'd see him like once a week, but he wasn't there in the household. So, primarily, me and my older brother didn't have the best relationship, so... Mm-hmm. We would always butt heads. Okay, so when did you get
0: involved with substances?
2: So, okay, so speaking of family dynamics and just substance, um, first time I started with marijuana. Again, it went from me and my older brother fighting and not sharing our toys to now we share our toys, which is like a blunt or a joint. So
0: you saying you and your brother smoke together? Yeah, yep. Okay, so did he kind of introduce you or you kind of like...
2: Uh no, I found my own way first, okay, but right. the our dynamic changed when we started, you know, smoking together type thing. So we weren't fighting anymore, needless to say, and that was our bond and that's what uh, much of our relationship revolved around. So, it had started with the weed. I thought I maybe, you know, and I was in middle school, I guess it, it didn't progress right away. It would be smoking once every month and then well, somewhere down the road, it started being before school and after school, like a reward type thing.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: And uh, one day, I gave him—I skipped school to smoke weed at mm-hmm. home, to stay home, <laughs> to smoke not the before or the after, but during school type thing. And uh, I gave him $20 to give me some weed. And he's taking like two hours. It's <laughs> like forever. And uh, he finally comes back with a $20 bag of weed. And I'm on the floor on all fours, looking for little like weed flakes just to pack a bowl to you know smoke on something and he had said, "Uh, what is that crackhead stuff you're doing, man? like you know it's just some weed and that was the first time I distinctly remember I might be a little bit different from these other people who treat it as like a social thing, you know, like you smoke with your friends and stuff, however, I start smoking by myself, and that was my like introduction to you know, the mm-hmm. marijuana and, um, yeah, my using, needless to say. So
0: So when did your addictions take off?
2: So, again, mm-hmm. it started with that. And um, not just the using, but the identity behind it, which the was lifestyle. the lifestyle yes, and the, you know, living my life uh, on call and, you know, selling weed, needless to say. And that was part of my identity. Mm-hmm. So when I was uh 16, I got caught with some weed and it was the first time that i had to stop like you know i would try to stop on my own but always be like a two-day thing right you know but this time it was uh i actually like had to stop for the courts Mm -hmm. so at that point that's where like looking back now but during that time I remember like it being my days were so long like you know it felt like every day was dragged out right right i was just looking forward the whole time like you know i might not have smoked any weed or if i would like plan out piss test and as soon as i take a piss test maybe i could smoke one and you know what i mean and just that what we call compulsion that Mm -hmm. physical aspect that when i put it down my thoughts already on the next one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, that lasted all the way till my probation ended and then boom it was back to the races so that was like my first uh, thought maybe you know it's going to be hard for me to stay stop needless to say right and when I picked right back where I left off I wouldn't even call it a relapse because I wasn't committed to stay stop right, stopped, you right. Know what I mean right but uh eventually as the story goes I ended up getting another charge some years later And at this point now, it's like I can't smoke weed again. So then I start uh, smoking cigarettes and eating Percocets to sort of recreate the effect of the mental aspect of the high and the, you know, physical aspect of the temporary suffocation with the smoking and what have you. And uh, got in the pills and yeah.
0: Substitute one drug for another. Exactly. You you went right into where I was going next. Mm -hmm. So. Tell me the story when you hit bottom.
2: So when I hit bottom, you know, it was always I'll never do this. When I was smoke weed, I say I'll never do pills. And mm-hmm. then I started drinking, you know, uh, eating the pills. And then I was like, well, I'll never snort the pills. And I end up snorting the pills. Mm-hmm. And then I go to jail, and the guys in jail say, Luke, you keep messing with them pills. You're gonna do heroin. And I said, no, the <laughs> hell I'm not. I never right. do that. And sure enough, I like hated them not hated them for hated myself for it but eventually months after getting out of jail i ended up you know mm-hmm. snorting heroin and it proved them right needless to say and i was mad that i proved them right and uh then at that point i say well i just snort the heroin i don't shoot heroin so obviously it's not you know it's not that big of a deal and um after about two years uh mm-hmm. you know, ended up one day it wasn't you know hitting the same so i Asked the girl I was with, you know, tie me up and hit me off. And that was my last six months of using, by the way, was, you know, Mm -hmm. intravenous using. So I wasn't like that, you know, using like that for too long. But it was enough to tear the fur off me. And I remember, like, always waking up, like, just wanting it to stop, you know. Um, And the hopeless part for me was it was like I had stopped before, but the staying stopped and i could stop for like that three days but it was always like ending up with drugs in my hand at at the third day and you know Mm -hmm. totally subconsciously unconsciously somehow got there you know my family of course i'm not living with them i was living with the girls with at the time and it was easy for me to hide behind my using because i could say well i pay the bills but you know through not uh, the right means or whatever and could hide behind that but um they could see it. Everyone else could see it except me until I was ready to, like, take an honest look. My bottom, going back to what you said, uh, my bottom was April 3rd, 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cops kicked in my door, and they said a confidential informant 14010 allegedly mm-hmm. bought a $20 bag of marijuana from me. And part of me was like, why the f are you going to kick in my door for it? A $20 bag of weed. I mean, it was the dumbest. I just thought it was really stupid. I was resentful. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't put a face to it because they don't tell you or nothing like that. But at the same time, I was, like, relieved because, again, I knew it's taking me away from... It's, like, protecting me from myself because yes. should I stay there, I could have, you know, ended up dying as, you know, we hear many of us do and have. So, um, that was the day I got clean. Mm-hmm. And, um... That's what I identify as my bottom was that, like, about a week before that was, you know, just feeling low, um, wanting to stop, not being able to, feeling stuck, just like, you know, no hope, praying to God and, you know, just, huh, that was was my bottom, needless to say, though, yeah. Okay, so what has your road of recovery been like? So, road of recovery? Mm Mm-hmm. And that I think that's the beautiful part. Like, as I said, I, I've been clean before, but never, like, committed to, to like, trying to live different. Right. There was always a reservation of maybe right. I could stop using. And now that I stop using, maybe I could sell some and save, you know, yes. some more money. And I'll be a little more focused. But uh, this time, actually being committed to just, like, staying on the straight and narrow, first and foremost, like, in my first year, less than a year, everything was – it was – awkward it was an awkward adjustment I was vulnerable but it wasn't so much boredom for me it was more of uh finding myself and finding an identity outside of something I invested 23 years mm-hmm. of my life into basically so um it's been it was a journey um when I felt good like man it was like riding a roller coaster yes. when you're right at the peak and yes. but uh when I was feeling down I wanted. it wasn't as bad. My downs aren't as bad as how I was down using. Yes. Like, I know yes. there's this saying, they say, your best day, your worst yes. day clean isn't as bad as your you know, best day is, using. You know, yeah. And my best day using, as I said, was like that trapped feeling. You know what I mean? So, even my down times in my journey recovery, it was never as bad as that. And that's where I find what they call gratitude, just being grateful yes. for, like, another day clean. Yes. So my journey, and as they told me, you know, strap in for the ride of your life, something like that. Mm-hmm. That ride has been the ups and the feeling goods, Yes. And the downs and feeling downs. And I guess prematurely or immaturely, like, early in recovery, I thought recovery was just feeling good all the time. And I thought if I was, like, feeling bad, then... I'm doing bad, right? And I've learned the opposite is that like you know, because 'cause I'm feeling bad doesn't mean I'm doing bad, and that that's okay. And um, I found times of where I'm on the ride and I'm just coasting. I found times when I'm going on the click, 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 like something's about to happen, mm-hmm. and then something good happens, and a, and I've had times where I'm just like on the little slow, down low part, just sort of wheeling right along. So. That's how my journey's been so far, you know, thanks to the help of other people just like me. Um, I think finding people just like me, that was another thing because Mm -hmm. I'd lived much of my life. You could relate. Yeah, and I'd lived in secrecy, and I thought Mm -hmm. talking about stuff like this, you don't, you know. you don't don't do that, yeah. Not just talk about this, but Mm -hmm. even about your feelings, because should I do that, then I could be taken advantage of and, you know. But now it's almost like an asset and it's like, you know, a whole different dynamic to that. So my it's been quite a journey. It's been a ride as they told me it has been and yeah, I'm just I'm in for the ride, man. That's
0: great. Now mm-hmm. tell me something, Luke.
2: What have you learned about yourself
0: while you're in recovery?
2: You know, I've learned that yeah, like I take me wherever I go, meaning like just because I'm in a new spot life doesn't mean I haven't forgotten where i've come from right i take my experiences with me and i learn from them and as people told me you know you get old around here too so i'm right at the ripe age of 30 and uh some bones well, and well, muscles speaking, are, well speaking of that um
0: how many years have you been on this road of recovery
2: i've been on this road i actually got like a little clean time calculator thing and it's been like 200 million odd seconds but so it averages to like Six years and and ten months Very good Six years, ten months and one day
0: Fantastic One day at a
2: time
0: man. Well Luke, it's been an honor and a pleasure having (laughs) you as a guest I would like to thank you for sharing on this episode of One Day at a Time Thanks for having me In recovery in Baltimore And listeners, I want to thank you for being with us My name is Theo Hill And let's talk again soon